of Reichman University. I know that birds are attacking some drones. I saw some. They're attacking. There is a famous. There is a famous. I don't know. I don't think it's Alfred Hitchcock right here. It's the birds. <laughs> they are attacking drones. There is a very famous clip in the YouTube where, uh, by the way, Google in Australia, uh, <laughs> uh, a raven or something had served one of the drones. Oh, you don't mess with raven. Yeah, but they are publishing that because he survived. He survived. The drone survived the man to work to, to... Oh, God. Actually, serious. Amazing conversations from Israel, all topics considered. With Aaron Porras and Hannah Rifkin. Welcome to the Actually Serious podcast in partnership with Audioversity and No Camels, the leading site for Israel innovation news. I'm Aaron Porras, and before we continue, remember to like, follow, and subscribe for more of the most interesting and innovative from Israel with all topics and the people behind them considered. Today, I'm here with my incredible producer, Hannah Rifkin, and Idan Shimo, Shimon, co-founder and CEO of Wonder Robotics, uh, which is developing some of the most advanced and impressive drone technologies ever. Uh, Idan, looking at some of the demonstrations on your website, I'm blown away by some of the creative solutions that your company has come up with, and for the creative solutions to problems that I didn't know existed. Uh, and I have a lot of questions, but we'll start off small. How are you doing? Fine. Thank you very much. Thank you for this introduction. I think uh, it is so flattering. So uh, I think we, we can we can finish here. <laughs> we should, we're done. downhill from the top. <laughs> yes. Wonder Robotics, everybody. <laughs> uh, no, I, so I guess, first of all, like, how did you, how did you get into, into robotics and, and aviation and drone technology? I mean, I know that you have some experience in the in the army, but it, was that your first introduction into uh, into that world? No, actually, I think um, I'm a perfect example of somebody that started off with a hobby as a, as a young kid, you know, flying uh, radio control models, and then it turned into a more professional uh, hobby. You know, I competed, etc., and then I was uh, uh, recruited to the drone unit. Israeli army, flying drones for more than four years in the army, and then sliding into the drone industry uh, for uh, many years. Uh, I was one of the first people in Nautics, a company that grew to be uh, more than 700 people. Um, and um, so throughout my professional life, it was like a direct continuation of my hobby as a radio control enthusiast. <laughs> and. Um, and until today, I mean, so I was in drones all my life, and then uh, business, and I know things technically, so it was very, very natural for me to go also into drones, uh, commercial drones, as I do today. Was there, was there ever like a different hobby or a different line of like career path that you considered? Well, I studied law, and that was, uh, and and uh, I have a lot of interest uh, in what's going on around us. I found law very interesting because it has to do with everything we do around in life in our life um but uh and and going into the uav business uh after the army i found myself drawn into more of the business aspects and i was like the vice president of marketing of the company of aeronautics and then so and the law uh, studies helped me a lot is this life um so no actually i liked uavs i like drones and though i i studied law I eventually I didn't took it I didn't I never practiced law I never went to this uh, line mm. of work so what fascinates you most about this technology 
about drones in general. Yeah, and about what you guys are doing. Um, I think, I mean, for many years we, we are hearing about how robots are going to change our lives. And about, and, and drone is a robot. It's a three-dimensional robot that can, uh, unlike a ground robot, can also vertically fly vertically. That's part of the reason we are also doing vertical awareness system. We'll talk about it. Um, and I think we're on the verge of a revolution there. I think robots are going to uh, revolutionize the workforce the next few years. I know the people have been talking about that for many, many years, and it still did not happen. But with everything going on around the world now, I think it's going to happen soon. I think drones, I, you know, when you're looking out of the window, you still don't see drones fly and bring you your pizza. And Maybe not near. Well, America someplace. there are some pilots, yes, but, but on a large scale, I think it's uh, closer than people think. I think I think that's that's a promise that people have been talking about for many years and didn't happen. But uh, there are some aspects that need to be resolved: regulation issues, uh, cost-effectiveness issues, and that's part of what we do. And uh, I think we are on the verge of this revolution. And I think that in just a couple of years, it's going to be different. That's that's my true belief. What are like what are some of the biggest obstacles really to getting these? Uh, to getting drones, flying drones, to be commercial? Because, I mean, you mentioned, obviously, logistics and, and legal and, and maybe obviously probably some technical issues as well, but is there, like, a security issue? Uh, is You know, like, can a, how easily could a drone, for example, be hacked and abused? Well, there are several uh, issues that need to be addressed before these uh, drones can take a larger um, part of our lives. In many use cases, uh, cybersecurity is one of them. Uh, as every machine, including your car, these there are several. There are companies dealing with cybersecurity and making sure that nobody can hack it and, and use it for uh, for uh, uh, wrongful purposes. Um, but we are focusing on two different aspects that will we believe are the key enablers for this market. Um, and both of them relate to what we do, which is autonomy, which is like like the mobili of the drones. This, we like to, to give this example of talking about mobili because it explains very well what we're trying to do for people, who, because everybody in Israel knows mobili. By the way, in the United, United States, you say mobili. A lot of people do not know mobili. They know Intel. But it's, they know it's, Tesla. But it's but they know mobili technology technology is every, I mean, no, I mean, even in the States, mobile technology, they might not know the name. They don't know the name. Yeah. But in Israel, it's very convenient because it's a well-known company and every and company and everybody knows. So, what, the reason it's an enabler for this market is that at this point, mainly two main reasons for drones not to fly around now when we are sitting here in Ritzlia. Yeah, uh, the first one is regulation. Um, the regulator has to adopt these technologies and 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 believe that they are safe to fly over people, especially for use cases that these are flying over people. I'm not talking about. Use cases like agriculture or when you fly over fields, uh, that's another issue. But to fly over people, that's that the regulator must be convinced and must create regulation that will allow these things to be regulated, certified, and fly over people. And for that, um, need to replace the pilot. So drones fly and they fly very well, but they are not aware of their surroundings. Mm-hmm. If there is an obstacle on the way, when they fly to a destination, when they fly low, when they descend, when they land. So if you put somebody, something or somebody below them, they will just land on it or will just uh, collide into it. So 
that that's not workable. That the drone should have some kind of level of awareness around him and below him and above him to understand what's going on and a level of autonomy that will make sure these things do not collide and do not risk and mitigate all the risk for people, especially people b- below the drones. And that's part of what we do. This And that's when this is going to be resolved and regulation is going to adapt these technologies, I think that will be a key enabler for drones to really be operative here in large scale. The second uh, enabler uh, is most effectiveness until today you hear a lot about drones you see sometimes in the television and news you talked about some pilots in the united states and mm-hmm. australia europe you see, you see like light shows with like really amazingly coordinated drones but these are very 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 small and very lightweight so the damage they can create to anybody if they collide or land on someone had they're not carrying like a payload delivery stretch you yeah i'm talking about 25 kilograms okay is that which is if it which falls is, yeah, and that's, by the way, in how the regulator refers to these drones. They categorizes them according to their weight and speed, break, and, and the very, very low speed, low weight drones, the consumer gro- drones are not considered the same as the big ones. And uh, above that, there are two-ton drones, drones to, ca- to carry cargo and people. That's another category. And we are looking into these categories, the categories where it's really, really um, You're looking into moving We are looking into commercial drones. We are not dealing okay. with consumer drones at all. Okay. Not DJI or all this. That's a different category. We are looking for commercial drones, 25 kilograms and up, and even to the cargo and 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 air taxis because these drones eventually will need to be safe. Okay, they will fly over people, not over uh, fields of corn, and uh, that's where the problem of safety is uh, right. most evident. So safety, we talk about safety and right. regulation. Second enabler, they have to be cost-effective. A commercial drone today, all these pilots that we're talking about, eventually there is somebody in the loop. There are several people operating, chasing the drone, making sure he's not pulling on anybody's head, making sure if there is a winch, you know, lowering a package, somebody's standing by, looking at the drone, saying, okay, you can lower the winch. That's not scalable because the most expensive part of drone operation is people. So if you don't take people out of the equation, it's not cost-effective, and eventually mm-hmm. you'll have a small scooter bringing the, your, the package to your house. So for these things to be cost-effective, you need these drones to be completely autonomous, aware of their surroundings, and take and will not require an operator or an observer to follow them or make sure they're safe. That's, that's a second. That will make things cost-effective. Can you? How do you account for... I mean, you mentioned, for example, that it doesn't collide. I can understand maybe how a drone network might not collide if it if it is in in concert with other drones from the same network. But once we start talking about commercial drones, you know, we have to assume that there will be more than one company of drones of dro- of delivery drones out there. For example, how do you how do you make it so that those that are in total opposite networks that are not connected at all with one another, that drone from company A and drone from company B don't collide. Okay, so it's very much like aviation. There are are several uh, uh, aircraft manufacturers and there are numerous aircraft operators. El Al is an operator and Mm -hmm. Lufthansa is an operator and um, still there there, there is an order into things. So you need to replace, if you compare it to aviation, you need on one hand 
for this thing to communicate their location and their identity to the ground, okay? And and there should be like something like a tower that is... So you need some sort of regulating body. Yeah, yeah, not regulating body. I mean, there should be like a tower, you know, that sees all the drones, everybody transmits its location, and 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 the tower gives authority to this drone to fly here, for this drone to fly there, like with aviation. In, and, and there are companies doing that, doing what is called UTM, unmanned traffic management, and there are, there is a regulation progressing forcing everybody who wants to fly a commercial drone to install some RFID on the drone that it transmit its location. Uh, but then there are still the issue of uncollaborative aircraft or drones that do not, for some reason, did not install this technology or did not know or just uh, they should have flown in one route and they flew in another route. So there are companies dealing with that, replacing the tower. We are trying, but even in aviation, eventually you have a pilot. So you have the tower, the tower telling you, you have to land here, you have to fly here. But still there is a pilot in aviation, in the aviation world that uses his eyes and the machines on the aircraft itself to make sure that everything is safe around the aircraft. So we are replacing the pilot. So, um, and we are putting sensors and uh, we are basing a technology on image processing and AI to make sure that, and, and we are looking around the drone to make sure there are no obstacles as you say, no specific drones or something like that that going to collide into. So you have to cover this risk from both angles. On one hand, something should know everything and give authority and and, and make an order into things and give routes and the corridors for flight for everybody. But on the other hand, you have to replace the pilot putting this airborne mobili, the one robotic system, uh, understanding what's going on around and below the drone and navigate and understanding uh, if there is um, an obstacle or something that it should not be there, and navigate the around it and abort or avoid the collision. All right, I want to talk about now the, this uh, your Wonderland system, right? Because that taught, like from what I can read on your website, it's like a two-dimensional site I- imaging and a three-dimensional imaging combined in some way. Am I am I getting that right? Yeah, absolutely. And how, like, how does that work then? And also, actually, you know, going back to another thing that we talked about earlier, in terms of l- arriving at a particular place, like let's say it's delivering something, how does it? How do? You, how does the drone know it's delivering to the right person? But these are completely two different questions. So yes, yeah, that's first to refer to the Wonderland system. So, um, unlike the, well, I made. I talked about mobilize, so it's coming from the automotive industry, and we are looking a lot about technologies and and uh, uh, things that are developing for this industry. Uh, but there are things that are much more complicated with the automotive industry, but on and and vice versa, things that are more complicated in the in the drone industry. And the drones, unlike automotive uh, uh, automobiles, they should not only be aware of their surroundings, 360 degrees around them horizontally, but they sh- but they should also look vertically, down mm-hmm. and up, mostly down, um, or difficult. Uh, so we are dividing our technology to horizontal and vertical awareness. So the Wonderland system is a vertical system, system that looks down and provides a drone with all the capabilities it needs for its mission and it's for safety purposes when it's on a drone. And um, going back to automotive industries, uh, over there, you can see two schools. You have companies like Mobileye and like Tesla, for example, that believe in monovision. They believe that you need only one camera that uses a lot of AI to understand, detect, and classify obstacles around the vehicle. 
there are other companies you have, for example, Innovis, the Israeli company, Innovis that is developing a LIDAR. There are many companies trying to utilize a LIDAR or stereo vision mm-hmm. or radars on cars because they claim you need to have some kind of 3D understanding of the surrounding around the vehicle to understand also depth and yeah. only based on AI. These are two schools. And usually you would use um, 3D understanding for close obstacles. Like people, you know, you, when you're driving, you see in 3D, but you see in 3D because your eyes are quite close to each other. Yeah, you see in 3D only to... But they are separate is the thing. Yeah. You have the binocular but, fusion. Yes. So you have AI, you have a, you understand that a truck and not the right. and not a car far away. But when you see an obstacle, which is 20, 30 meters, you see it in 3D, you understand what's your distance between it. You see in 3D for sure distance. So some companies say you don't need that in cars. You need to see 20, 30 meters and... That's scary. Really, if you think about it, for short distances, they have these ultrasonic sensors that help you. Oh, so they have like a, like a sonar type thing yeah. that understands the distances? But oh. with a drone, you need both. You need, with a drone, when you look down, you need to understand things semantically. You have to classify and understand when you look down if that's a human being or not. And you need to understand things geometrically. You need to understand if is this a shadow, really a man, because you would not stop a landing or stop a delivery because there is a shadow that is going on below the drone. So you need to understand things both in geometry and semantically. So you need both 2D and 3D. That's what you saw in maybe in the website. Yeah. And that's part of the differentiator. And when we had to choose the technologies, the challenge is very big. So what, if we put a LIDAR on a radar or radar on a drone, it's very expensive. It's uh, very, uh, the weight is very, is uh, very high weight payload and you cannot afford on a drone to put one and a half kilograms of sensors just for looking around the drone. So the, the way we do that is we use stereo vision, which is one method of doing the 3D or a, a representation of the drone with, like human being. We see, we take two cameras, we understand the world in 3D, we understand both semantically and geometrically. So we can see things from largely, then as we land, you know, we can even detect a rock the user can say in advance if there is a rock, don't land there. Or I'm I can I can land next to a rock of five centimeters, but not ten centimeters. That's the level of resolution. So you need to start in one hundred meters and eventually be able to detect also rocks. So that's a, a big challenge, and that's why we have a very our differentiator is the ability to do that, and we are doing that with stereo vision and two D and three D analytics. Okay. The second question was. The second question was how do how do we make sure that we that it's the right, thing, the right right person yeah because well, if you're like, let's say there's a crowd of people right and you're or you're in an urban environment and the and the drone knows an address and an approximate location um it, you know like how do you because I think that that was an issue with some of the with some of the delivery drones on the ground is that they were being robbed basically well <laughs> so in that respect I think it's much more difficult to to rob. Uh, a drone that's safer. Um, on the other hand, you have to realize that this industry is still in its uh, crawling stage. It's mm-hmm. not even walking and for sure not running. So during this crawl phase at this point, drone operators are looking to, to and uh, for logistics, you are looking to expand and scale. First of all, in a little bit, not in the most, not in Manhattan, the most uh, condensed urban areas, these operations are starting in um, low uh, density urban areas, rural areas, and over there usually today most of the deliveries are around two ta- two schemes, two ways. Yeah, either 
you use a winch delivery into a backyard. What is a winch? Winch is uh, um, a mechanism. Even cars have it. A mechanism with a wire that you just oh, okay. lure the pack on okay. itself. You are hovering around above the area what you want. To. You just and you lower the payload and you lower the the the, the package into the backyard of this person. So oh. in order to do that, it's you need to have. A, an area, which is, by the way, most of America is like that, where you have backyards. Backyards or front yards, you're not doing that, you know, into a crowd of people. It's more secure. It's fenced in sometimes. Yeah. And our system, by the way, will let you know if somebody comes close. Uh, it's risky if somebody now walking through it and you can, if you're lowering the package on his head, so he tells the operator autonomously, it knows whether there's somebody below the package. It will stop the delivery in case somebody's getting into the area and we are also helping to to lower the package in high precision to exactly where you want to put it it's not very easy because there is wind and and very difficult for an operator from high altitude to know whether to put it here or there so our system looking down also allows you to pinpoint exactly where you want to deliver and in doing that you will stop the delivery of somebody getting close to the delivery area and risking getting hit by the package itself. So there are many, many use cases for look, why you need to look down from a drone, okay? So one method is using a winch, and that would be in a rural area. Usually in more populated areas, the method that is used is uh, like, imagine like a big mailbox, like a tower that you land on. It can be three meters high, and the package is inserted into this package automatically, and then you sit at home, you get an SMS, listen, your package arrived. You do need... It's in the neighborhood. You do need to go down, apartment, okay. uh, walk, you know, one, 100 meters, 50 meters to the closest tower and code. Okay. You take your code, you take the package, and you go away. So that's, when you look about methods, that's the method now getting uh, traction. So you need like, like lending a PO box to lending to ease. Wow, Americans might not like that at all. Why? Because they're so used to getting everything brought to the front door. And like even here, like it is such a nightmare to get an Amazon package. I have to find which Macola in my city has it, and like it's a whole thing. Yeah. Here we're used to it. There it's like, oh, like my husband just moved from the states, and he was like, "This is ridiculous that I have to walk around the city and find where my package is when I'm used to getting things." You're right. You're right. Right. Uh, well, it's um. Not everything is solved yet, and there are crazy, not crazy, there are ideas of landing packages, you know, when it, making mini such uh, mailboxes on rooftops, uh, again, whether it's an urban area with the uh, high-rise buildings or it's just a, um, a more um, open area, so it's different. Um, again, it's the industry is in first stages, therefore not everything developed. The two main methods currently developed are the I think this mailbox concept, by the way, which you need to land accurately on, safely, and we're talking about a landing area of 1.5 on 1.5 meters, okay, which is not, I mean, it's like this table. Yeah, with, really with a very big drone in high winds autonomously. Uh, sometimes when the, your GPS is interrupted because you're in, in the middle of an area with no buildings, um, day and night. So that's part of what we do. I mean, allow for precision landing in all very robust, very safe precision landing on such mailboxes in every environment, every weather, every lighting condition. It's very complex. 
keep in mind, this industry is buying on consumer-grade, hobby-grade technology. And so the current solutions for doing what I'm just mentioning about landing, about clearing the ground, etc., are very simple, low-cost, um, low-performance systems. And that was these are what are you? These are the technologies that are currently used. So um, uh, a high-end system, which is robust, redundant, that gives you all these level of safety. That's something this industry is going to need for all the purposes of this uh, use case of logistics. This is why we are focusing in this uh, domain. That's so amazing. It's very like it's such a cool innovation too. It's just like it. It actually reminds me. Uh, um, just the the level of innovation and in building on things like you said that are kind of already commercially available to a degree uh, actually reminds me of the fact that we're in this room, which is apparently called the Marconi room, which I'm going to call the Tesla room okay. on, on principle. <laughs> on principle, I'm going to call it the Tesla. But yeah, like it's yeah, I just thought I just thought I'd throw that in there that that's like it's just such an interesting kind of way of of approaching the issue is not necessarily even developing brand new technologies that are really expensive to develop, but building on things that exist. Um, and you mentioned that you are doing this with consumer grade things, but... I, I, no, I'm saying uh, that the industry is using the consumer grade. Oh, okay. That's not good enough. I mean, you cannot rely oh, when right. anyone to deliver autonomously and land precisely on such a landing tower that sits in the middle of an urban area. Well, you can imagine how risky it is. Right. And doing that 100 times out of 100 times precisely with no one involved, that requires, you cannot use a consumer-grade system right. that, well, somebody wor- sometimes works, sometimes mm-hmm. not, a little bit wind, somebody, somebody threw something and, or, or dirt, or, hey. or a bird just landed on that, and, and then the drone cannot see where it needs to land. So what? So everything is, you, you, you don't deliver the package or or more um, problematic, you just land somewhere else or you fall out of the tower, that's very, very dangerous. So you cannot rely on these consumer low-level commercial grade, consumer grade technologies. Speaking of like birds and things, did you, like what's the environmental impact study that's done on throwing drones up into the sky? Like, you know, first of all, is that, is that dangerous to wildlife? Is that something that's really been looked at? And second, I don't know, like, I thought that, yeah, one of the biggest problems of drones, it has nothing to do with what what the robotics is doing, but one of the biggest issues is the noise issue. Right. They are quite loud, and not only they are loud, the frequency of the noise is usually very high and very annoying. That's, I think, one of the key problems of people today where there are pilots, for example, in Australia, Google, they have a company called Wing, they're doing a very large drone delivery operation in Australia. And I think from what I read, most of the concerns and most of the complaints are about the noise. And, Can you imagine? And, and that's crazy because, you know, people today flying with drones or with everything, with all the, um, everything that is flying today are still using technology of uh, propellers, which is, I think, pretty much the same like the Wright brothers. Propellers in the technology, for example, did not advance almost completely in the last 100 years. So you would ask yourself, how come? How come? Can so, and there are some companies around the world trying, and I've seen some nice things over the internet. I didn't see anything commercial yet. Uh, to design a new kind of propeller which is efficient and still reducing dramatically the noise. That's also a key because what, and I'm sure that also affects wildlife. I didn't read any anything about it, but I'm sure that's also annoying. 
I know that birds are attacking some drones. I saw some. They're attacking. There is a famous. There is a, a famous. I don't know. I don't think it's Alfred Hitchcock right here. It's the birds. <laughs> they are attacking drones. There is a very famous clip in the YouTube where, uh, by the way, Google in Australia, uh, <laughs> uh, a raven or something has served one of the drones. Oh, you don't mess with ravens. Yeah, but they are publishing that because he survived. He survived. The drone survived the man to return. Oh, my God. So they, they're proud of this then? They're yeah. proud of this interaction? Wow. Um, but does but it does not happen a lot. And uh, how much it it, it, it is uh, disturbing them, I don't know. I'm sure there are some studies about it, but I didn't read any. But I know that the noise is annoying people. Uh, Do we want to switch gears to talk about more like political stuff well, or? Yeah, I mean, I still want to stick. Okay, I think a little bit on, on this idea of of the new tech. So, like, okay, is is Wonderland like is that the major patent, uh, patent pending technology? Is the the Wonderland a vision yeah, software? Or? We have three patents that are now pending, and and the, uh, what the first one is, is around technology that is. Uh, integrated into the Wonderland, part of what we talked about. Um, and we are now looking to expand and we are starting also to look, we have also a, a, a project looking horizontally, looking at obstacles also that, you know, like cable, for example. Yeah, you know, some loose hanging wire, loose hanging screws, um, poles. These are, the, the, especially the low profile, uh, Obstacles. These are very dangerous. Think about, you know, the future is there are there, there are companies even in Israel that has the ambition to replace uh, the, your next Tesla with uh, with a small VTOL aircraft that will sit in your garage and you'll just be able to hop to the next city, land next to the supermarket, buy a few things. I know each sound these lists. Now I'm seeing these like quad cycles that people like mount like a motorcycle and fly around at, at like 15. Absolutely. And it's like, yeah, really crazy time. And though in Israel, maybe it's a small country, very condensed, but think about the United States where most of the country is well, and sometimes you need to, to if you want to go to the next store, it's quite far away. Um, so I think if it costs $150,000 or less, um, there are a lot of people in the United States who choose to do that and they will, and will and will buy that. And then they are not very, very trained. And they are taking off and landing in their backyard and next to other places. And then their teenagers are taking them out for a so They're probably going to need new licenses. And then probably they yeah. need when you hover just next to your house and you fog the house, a, a small tree just behind you and you back off. You need, yeah. it's like, it's, it's death. like car. It's death. It's death. It's death. <laughs> it's there more if it hits your <laughs> propellers, you're dead. You're dead. So, so, and so is anyone else around? Yeah. So we are. So we're <laughs> doing that as well, and we are developing the technology needed to provide this protection for for these vehicles, not to collide when they hover also horizontally. I think including very very thin wires, etc., that are lethal to these to these birds. What's the concern Big. about uh, the possibility of being hacked, like the drones or even the car? Well, I think it's the same as. It's the same. Um, we are at this point uh, well involved. Largest um, uh, drone delivery project in the United States with one of the most famous. You're all, you're already in the states, like with the and one of the most famous and largest retail companies in the world. Okay, I cannot say the name, but there are Amazon. No, 
No, <laughs> by the way, it's not Amazon. Amazon, Amazon is one of these companies that um, decided that they're going to do everything by themselves. They're doing technology very similar to what we do, and we love that because they can affect the regulator and push the regulator to adopt this technology much faster than we can. Sure. So Amazon and Google, two companies, they're like Tesla. Okay, they want to do the AI and the image uh, uh, building everything in house and kind of pushing things, yeah, including the vehicle, everything. Very difficult, but there are others, and uh, not very far in size from these kind of from Amazon size, and um, and they also have drone operations that are starting that are starting to kick off, and and working with one of them is. Is the largest operation. Can I just keep guessing names? And no, no. Is it, is it, you can tell us what it's not. Everything that it's not. No, it's not that. The United States Postal Service. <laughs> and the they reason, it. <laughs> the reason I mentioned that is that we go through a very the, their IT system and their and their cybersecurity elements in the system are so harsh and they are so much aware of the need and the risks that. A big part of getting into the project is not around our technology at all. It's how we get with our piece of software into their system, how we, uh, how they make sure it's safe, how they make sure nobody can hack it. So uh, it's um, we now go through this process of integrating that into their environment, and we see how much they care about cybersecurity, about hacking, about all the engineering around the software itself, even with even before starting to talk about the functionality of the system. I think you, you almost have to, because that's like, I mean, the second that this technology is corrupted is the second you got to take it down, or at, at, least, at least until you fix the the hole or the breach. Absolutely. And you can, and with a drone flying around being controlled with a hacker, it, it can be very, very dangerous, and they are aware of that. Right. Keep in mind that in many aspects, we are also part of the solution because we are an autonomous system. We are putting a piece of software on the drone. It's not a cloud-based system. It's an edge computer. So it's not on a, it's, it's a closed circuit computer. sort of thing. Absolutely. That flies the drone completely autonomously without involvement. So that's actually part of the solution, not part of the problem. Having the drone more autonomous and taking its own decisions and flying by itself without any connection to human operators actually prevents a lot of the risk involved with attacking drones and using drones for uh, malicious uh, intent. So, all right, so maybe we maybe we can get into maybe some current events now. Uh, how did you have a question? No, I mean, uh, I saw that you have some written down. It would be great if you could start. <laughs> I definitely do. People, people around the table start to have I will not. I mean, I have many questions. I could we could do this for hours as far as I'm concerned. Like my I mean, you mentioned now that you're operating I'm trying to, I'm already thinking of how I'm connect, uh, how I'm trying to to get out of it. <laughs> no, to to combine one robotic technology into the answer to to divert back to the rest of the subject. But let's go. It's that's some <laughs> that's some amazing press training and I think we'll put it to the test right now. Uh yeah, you know, you mentioned again that you're Operating in the United States or with uh, um, an American service uh, company of some sort, uh, are you affected at all by like the SVB collapse? No, no, not at this point. No, no, we have we didn't have any money with these banks and the banks that collided and um, collided that, that, that went down. Yeah. Uh, so we were not affected by. Any that question? Okay, just one. Yeah, so far so good. <laughs> I'm relaxed. Okay, you're doing great. <laughs> Uh, yeah, <laughs> it just it gets progressively harder from here. No. Uh, 
like i mean it, do you see how how involved like maybe not how involved but how um diversified i guess are the investments around your company in order to protect it like i think that's just like because you mentioned that you from a legal standpoint as a businessman you've kind of maneuvered your your way into a successful business like how so that for me from somebody who doesn't know i'm just very curious how what's the thought process of navigating that those kinds of waters around what yeah about like the risk, these finan- yeah. risk for financial risks yeah again like yeah just maintain like diversifying your company in such a way that you can withstand the the svbs of the world okay so first of all um last year the uh, we decided to focus more on the american market and the u.s market because that's um a, a, for us we decided it's a key market uh, in the for the drone logistics drone delivery business and other drone applications is the idea to start in the united states and then to expand worldwide or or no. well the r d is here in his right but we understood that most of the market is in the us so we um competed in a there, there, there is one of the i think most famous accelerators in the united states around robotics and drones is it sits in new york state it's called Genius, and they have decided to invest. New York State decided to invest a lot in the drone and UAM urban air mobility business, and uh, we competed against 250 companies. Competed in this accelerated six one, and we were one of them. And we got half a million dollar and an office space and a place to fly. Great. And we opened our first thank you, our first laboratory in the United States to assemble the technology over there, and to support our customers in the United States. The one I mentioned is only one of them. We have several very uh, we have several customers in the United States, and uh, so we have expanded our operations to the United States, um, uh, and now we are also starting to work in Europe. We took uh, we, we one of the most uh, knowledgeable and known advisors for regu- the regulation world in Europe. He just joined our advisory board, Lorenzo Morzilli. Mr. Lorenzo Mozilla, and he's supporting us with some of our operations and efforts with regulators also in Europe. So one thing is to diversify in the markets that we are that that we are uh, walking in, and now we are looking to also a little bit to the east. Um, in terms of uh, capital, so we raised money. Our seed round was last year, and uh, for the next. Rounds. I think now is a, a little bit difficult time in the markets in general. Mm-hmm. But but we are we are lucky enough to raise for Elon Ventures and the, 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 they led the, the the round. And so we, um, I think we are in a better stage than many other startups in the sense that we raised on time and we have patience to go through these, you know, harsh waters now and and, and wait for things to come down. So this also, but this also influences decision-making, where you need to think uh, as a CEO, I mean, you, you have some runway and you need to make sure that that you get to the point in, for your next round, first of all, with the results and KPIs, you have to meet with your KPIs and uh, to make sure that you can raise the next round and we are on our way there. And on the other hand, to make sure that you have enough money to, to go through uh, these times and, and to raise money where markets are a little, a little bit more calm, and so so that's all the time, all the time, in our heads, and we. Are... So if we broaden the scope a little bit, uh, 
and talk about the Israeli high-tech sector as a whole. I mean, we're seeing that because of the judicial reforms, there are a lot of companies, maybe invest, sorry, investors that are you know a little bit spooked about the whole thing. So do you think that this poses a risk to Israeli high-tech sector? Um, I think I think it does, absolutely. I mean, without touching, I mean, it has nothing to do with one robotics. It is a personal question. From conversations I have with the market, absolutely, I think that things are already influ- being influenced much more than they are talking about. I think what happens is that in the news, you only hear about those who are weaving around and saying, I took my money away, or I stopped my investment. There's already Which billions is, of I th- Yeah, but what you hear, I think that the, only a few go and um, talk about it. I think many, many, many more are just doing that silently and quietly without talking. So it's much worse than it seems. I think so. And I think, and without taking any political stand, I think yeah. because in, in you know economics is psychology, and 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 people, and things can go wrong even because of psychology and because of yeah. uh, uh, trends and so, and all the world. You see the war in Ukraine. You see what's going on between China and the United States. Okay, we think it's unstable. So I think these risks uh, already uh, influence movement of money our words more than people talk about. I think that these risks uh, affected the VCs and the private equities money investment, new startups, much more than everybody's talking about. I mean, the mechanisms are there. If you are a VC and you have some a team, staff that needs to work on new investment, so they continue. They talk to the companies, the due diligence, but I do not see a lot of new investments. Right. I see a lot of people are spooked. Yeah. I think people are waiting to see what's going to happen. That, right. That's not a little spooked, but waiting to see what's going to happen because uh, it's a risk issue. Do you have um, something that I was thinking about earlier when you talked about New York and the incubator, the, the genius uh, um, accelerator? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've, I've been working in the news for a long, long time, and I think that's something that just keeps popping up is obviously anti-Israel and anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism and like coming from a military background as most Israelis do, especially in high tech. And now you're developing something that, you know, flies above and has has a camera. And even if it's a ridiculous argument, have you encountered any, any such people who are just like, oh, it's another Israeli group spying on us or something like that? Absolutely. Absolutely not. Maybe they thought about it, they didn't say anything. I feel like it's more of like a internet media thing versus, I feel like it's more of an internet media thing versus like a actual like business partner thing or like, you know, you're working with other people who are professional because I mean, when I was, I was in international cooperations in the army and we did a lot of joint, uh, like, uh, exercises with the U S and stuff like that. And as much anti-Semitism you, as you see online now from, you know, people in the U.S. when you meet U.S. soldiers, for instance, like, it is completely the opposite. And I just feel like maybe that also translates to other things in the professional sphere. Like, those people are not thinking about that stuff necessarily. It's just more of an internet thing probably, right? Specifically in New York State and with the Genius Program, they are. Very, very receptive to Israeli companies. Very, uh, uh, they encouraged us 
that and they're encouraging us now for the next cohort you know next competition wow. to 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 bring other companies we know from Israel that might have good technology to expose to them so from our experience and my experience in the United States and the, and and internationally still I did not see any such uh, influence that's good that's good that's to know cool. honestly that's amazing because the way that things are looking now is concerning but yeah I think that's that goes back to what uh, you were saying earlier Idan about how there's a lot of psychology involved here and it's what we see on the news is is either it can be worse than what it actually is as well as better than what it actually is well or um, there are uh, movements and trends that takes time to develop I mean sometimes you see these things over time takes time for things to change and sometimes if you now the ship starts to go to another direction it'll take time until you notice the change but the, by the time you do it's like very irreversible course reverse yeah exactly reverse the effect so I don't know I hope that uh, that's not the case I will I hope nothing but the best uh, at your upcoming run with the accelerator that's uh, like a good note to leave yeah <laughs> I'm really excited to see uh, the results of this and to have one of your drones deliver uh deliver my next package you know i don't order often so by the time it's out on the market oh, Aaron, why, why don't you order often i'm curious why don't i is, is I, it a convenience issue no i don't trust the israeli delivery system oh same. <laughs> like, maybe this will change things that's the truth that's i mean how many times we talked about it even you talked about it earlier with your yeah. husband about how like he hates having to go out and get stuff it's like oh and by the way orders a package and it gets to us like three months later right well, for me, yeah. Well, and for me, it's I'll order stuff, and it's not that I don't order things, but I, I try not to because I'll order something, and they won't give me a choice of where it will be delivered. Then it will tell me that it's there, and they'll give me a seventy-two hour window to go get it on threat of returning it to the storage. But then I'll go to the store, and he'll tell me that he doesn't have it. That's and never, ha- it hasn't happened. Oh, that's happened to me multiple times. <laughs> I don't know. I have good experience with. Uh, <laughs> so it takes longer than maybe in the U.S. Oh, sure. It is you can o- more complex, but of course. But within like two hours, you could get a package. In the United States, you have Amazon Prime. I mean, you order something at 10, you get it by 11. Yeah. It's mad, which is wild. That, that. That's a that's like the other extreme. That's yeah. crazy. I think like I think it was Bill Maher who talked about how like you know maybe it's a good thing that you have to wait a day to get yeah. your stuff like <laughs> you know like not to have complete instant gratification for everything on this planet. But that is true. Um, but that's a different issue. Anyway, yeah. that note. <laughs> on that note, Idan Shimon, thank you again for Wonder thank Robotics. You. Thank you so much for joining. Yes, Eren. Thank you so, so much. Yeah, I'm Aaron Porras. I'm here with Hannah Rifkin, CEO of Wonder Robotics, Idan Shimon. Uh, and for more actually serious topics, remember to like, follow, and subscribe to the podcast again on Apple, Spotify, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, No Camels, Audioversity, and www.aaronporras.com. We love you. See you next time. and on all podcast platforms. Search Audioversity.